0: Welcome aboard, Third Degree Burn, a podcast that looks at everything John Byrne. I am your captain, Tim Elliot, and with me, my co-pilot Brian Hughes.
1: Hello, hello, co-pilot. Am I captain co-pilot. also?
0: Uh, we're co we're co captains.
1: Co captains.
0: Or 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 I can be uh, the captain. You can be number one.
1: Well, at least I'm not number two.
0: That's <laughs> true. That'd be Doctor Bill. Do- oh, oh. oh. <laughs> Oh, but he hasn't uh,
1: been on yet, so we can't call him number two.
0: No. <laughs> all right. Well, Boy, tonight. We're just getting out <laughs> there and aren't... <laughs> You're just burning. You can start that over if you want. You are burning all your bridges. All right. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> no. All right. Tonight. Uh, oh, man. On I, tonight... I burned my bridge with Scott
1: Gardner when I made the Hitler
0: comment. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, Scott's very forgiving.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yes,
0: yes he is. <laughs> All right, tonight. I don't know why I keep saying tonight. I think it's because we record at night. On this episode Never. of Third Creep Burn, we are uh, cop. We are covering our first John Byrne Star Trek book, and Brian has decided he wants to cover Romulans, the Holy Crown, the Hollow Crown, the Holy Crown, the Hollow Crown. So pull yourself a glass of Tranya, and we'll let Brian. Tell us what we're gonna be talking about tonight.
1: See, and now you just you completely derailed me, because you started talking about Tranya, and now all of a sudden I've got a craving for butterscotch pudding.
0: Oh, there
1: you go. Because that's what I think of when I see Tranya. I think it's gonna be butterscotch flavor. Oh, uh, looks like tang to me. You no, know? either that, or it could be the same flavor as a buttery nipple. Are you familiar with the buttery nipple?
0: I have. I believe I've had it butter. I believe I've had a buttery nipple. Well, I, 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 I mean, I
1: don't know if you care for it. I know women like the buttery nipple as a drink, which is Bailey's Irish cream and uh, butterscotch schnapps.
0: Oh, yeah. My wife's a big fan of uh, Bailey's Irish cream.
1: And it tastes just like a pudding pop. Okay. But that's uh, enough. I'm not going to do any more Bill Cosby imitations because then I'd have to give you Quaaludes and too horrible soon. things. Oh,
0: too soon. Too soon.
1: Too soon. <laughs> too soon. Okay. Okay. I'll let it go. All right. Uh, yeah. Um, now, before we get into that, though, do you, do you have – Any Star Trek news
0: information? Um, Let me see. I don't have any Star Trek recipes. I do. Oh, I did see when we were at the pet store this weekend. They had, you know, there's the pet store is uh, just lousy with Star Trek stuff. I mean, Star Wars stuff. Not to jump, not to cross the streams, but they had dog bones that were called, they were like Wookiee cookies and they had uh, (laughs) dog uh, uh, treat bins. One of them was Vader that said, I find your lack of treats disturbing. <laughs> the other one said, Feed a Wookiee a cookie. <laughs> it was brown. So those are those very that's cute. That's great. I, I can hear James Earl Jones. Saying, I find your <laughs>
1: lack of treats disturbing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's great. Uh, now,
0: not, uh, you have seen the the trailer for Star Trek Beyond, right? I have seen it. No, I've seen, I guess, just one that's ever out now, if there's a longer version. But I have seen it. Uh, it's not. It's not making me jump up and down in my seat, you know, in wahoo! But I'll have to just wait and see. I, uh, I, I think that that whoever cut the
1: trailer just took every action scene that they could find and threw it out there, so that all those people that are not us, as far as Star Trek fans go, they're not part of that that Star Trek core audience. Um, all the people that liked Star Trek Into Darkness and and you know, paid to see it however many times or whatever and all those people that that enjoyed you know the first two movies i think that that trailer was the service for them you know that you know once we get into the movie itself simon pegg writing it simon pegg being uh, a huge trek fan himself that we're gonna that we're gonna see maybe we'll see with more trailers that there's a lot more to the story than just all that the only thing that i don't like is why do they have to practically destroy the episode the, the enterprise in every movie
0: they like to see I things mean, they, blow up
1: real good. I know, but the, the, you know, the, uh, just once they need to sit there and show that Kirk can keep a ship together. You know.
0: Oh, I just hope that God, it's not, it's not a rehash of three. So he's going to have to destroy the ship, just, just like they did in. Well, the no, Searchers I, 5. I, I'm
1: almost feeling like, like the Enterprise is going to get tore up so much that they're going to refit it, and it's going to look a lot more like the refit from the motion picture,
0: and, and you know, afterwards. Uh, that could in, in be. This movie. That's a that's a uh, that's a vi- uh, viable theory. I mean, that's because they could really be very shouldn't right there. turn apart the ship. Yeah. Well, it got it got but, trashed know, pretty it, good it, it in got, the other movie.
1: Yeah. Well, it got it got really trashed Into Darkness, and and I really hated that because I, I don't care how big that that other ship is, you know, the it's it shouldn't be able to just overcome the shields like that. If that was that if if it really that way, they would make all the ships that strong. And the one thing that you have to have is you have to have that kind of balance of power. I mean, Star Trek was always, in, in a lot of ways, representative of the Cold War. Oh, absolutely. And the if they were was. able to, yeah. And if you're going to sit there and may, build up these starships that are meant to, you know, for exploration, but also protection from the Klingons, the Romulans, the Tellurites, oh my. Um, you're you're going to, you know, make sure they're all as, as, you know, powerful as they can be. And if they can all be as powerful as that dreadnought or whatever it was uh, in Into Darkness was, you would just make them all that powerful. You wouldn't. You it, it, it it's just it didn't make sense, you know. Well, that's, and a lot of that th- movie didn't know, make sense. You should be able to, and, and you know, you should be able to have starship combat where you know you use strategy rather than just having more guns than everybody else. More like rather Khan. A- yeah. That kind of you're gonna find a way to even the odds. Sauce for the goose, however you wanna put it. Um and the, you know, that's the one thing the Into Darkness showed is it doesn't matter. If you got more guns, you're you're better off.
0: Well I d I didn't like and this isn't really nerd nitpicky, I didn't like the fact that they that that when the Enterprise went to warp that somehow the dreadnought was able to enter its warp stream and attack it during while they were while they were at warp. I didn't make I mean visually I guess it looked cool, but I didn't like it.
1: Yeah, it looked like they were going down the same subway tunnel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. I don't think that works. Yeah. it. it I mean, they, they they had a lot of problems there, but I, I think it's, it's something that I'd said to another friend of mine, Mike Carlisle I was talking to earlier. And I'd said that um, it's like J.J. who gets Star Wars because that was his great love. He doesn't get Star Trek. He sees Star Trek. He sees all the things that make it what it's it is. what it is, But every time he throws something in there, it's kind of like, eh, eh, look, I, I threw in something from the original series. Or look, I
0: threw this in there, you know?
1: Well, I, I just don't think he really got Star Trek for what it is. Now he his, made
0: Star Wars movies. Exactly. his The Star Trek, the first two were more the the popular culture's conception of what Star Trek is over the years. It's, it's like the myth of what Star Trek. Kirk's a womanizer. You know, Bones... Yeah, has his little catchphrase, uh, you know, all this kind of stuff that's going on. Chekhov has a horrible accent, things like that. So that, to me, is what drove well, that movie. Yeah, I mean, I mean, still,
1: you've got you've got Carl Urban there, who's just doing the most amazing job playing Bones, and then you have got everybody else doing what they're doing. Well, I thought Chris know? Pine did well. I, 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 he had a he had there a certain times, amount of There are times, yeah. I mean, there are times line delivery sounds like Shatner.
0: Yeah, and they don't. That's just the thing. They don't have to. Unlike, I think, Urban was doing a DeForest Kelly to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Pine wasn't so much doing Shatner, but I thought he got the the kind of flavor or the energy yes. of a rough James early, young James Kirk before he yeah. becomes a more polished uh, commander. And I'll
1: agree with that. Yeah. Now the thing is, the only the one thing I really didn't like was you know they they show Kirk in bed with the two. Uh, What are the cat people called? I forget.
0: Oh, I don't know. know, They had
1: the tails. And then they show him and Spock walk into the Starfleet headquarters and the two girls are, the girls are walking by and he's just, hi ladies, James Kirk, you know, and he's like mugging for them. And I'm just like, come on. I mean, even even at 35, Captain Kirk was supposed to be as Eddie Murphy called him, the coolest white man on the planet. Yeah. When he's 25, he's still going to know how to be that cool. You know, that's not something he learned over time. That was something he had in him.
0: Well, take take his, uh, the Kobayashi Maru test. We get to see yeah. him cheat and solve, you know, reprogram it. But he wouldn't be that smug the way he was just goofing off and not taking it seriously. I think the Kirk, the Shatner Kirk, would have gone on there and programmed it and played it straight, save, you know, so that he could save the ship, but not the way uh, Pine played it, it as like it was all a joke. Like, oh, I, you know, I broke in, I changed the program, and I was able to. Uh, I'm not taking it seriously because I know I can win. To me, it just seemed like Kirk, more like with Shatner, when he had reprogrammed it, he just changed the variables. You know, he didn't change it drastically, just enough so that he could. Chris Pine is like he went in there and turned on invincibility, you know, <laughs> like a cheat code. And that's when he was playing.
1: Well, I think Julia Eklar,
0: um wrote a book that was the Kobayashi Maru.
1: Um, no, I'm sorry. It was, it was, um, it says here's Andrew Mangles and Michael Martin. Huh. And, um, oh no, that's an enterprise novel. I'm sorry. That's not even, uh, the original novel. Uh, yeah, I guess it was, I think it was, yeah, there, here it is. Yeah. Julie Eckler. Okay. Yeah. Julie Eckler wrote, wrote the Kobayashi Maru novel where she, uh, depicted, um, Kirk, Chekhov, Sulu and Scotty taking the Kobayashi Maru and, yeah, basically, they're in a uh, – I think they were like in a shuttle accident or something, and they're all just kind of talking about what they did in the Kobayashi Maru. Oh. Now, what Kirk did was he basically had the simulation simulation reprogrammed so that the Klingons were afraid of Kirk. Yeah. So when he says this is, this is James T. Kirk of the starship, whatever, they go, the Captain Kirk, and then they <laughs> surrender, you know? And then you see uh, them, you know, they go about rescuing all the, the, the people and everything and, and taking it to the end. And, of course, you know, that's where, you know, th- he goes to Starfleet and they give him the accommodation for original thinking and all that. Scotty, on the other hand, he knew how the computers worked and he knew that there was a flaw in the way the computers worked. So he used that information against the system to keep blowing up the ships as they came and attacked. And then he was using all sorts of engineering tricks to to keep blowing things up, so that the, the the more Klingon ships they threw at him, he just kept you know finding ways to blow them up. And the way that the way it was designed, it was designed like a modern video game. You kill the first wave, a larger second wave comes. You kill yeah. all that. A larger third wave comes. And uh, so they they pulled him out of there, and they said, "How did you know to do all this stuff?" And he goes, "Well, I mean, I." Did this and I did that, and they go. Wait a second, and they pull out the manuals on all the equipment, and they they go. You wrote this stuff, <laughs> and he goes, Yeah, and they go. Why aren't you an engineer? And he goes, Well, my family wants me to be in command, and he goes, No, you're an engineer, and they
0: knocked him over to engineering. Interesting. I got the impression that the, that that was a test that every probably cadet had to take, whether they were going to be in command or not.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it was it, it was all that Sulu just basically says. Uh, you know, he he was going through some issues. His grandfather. Uh, was dying of cancer, and Sulu basically, when they get in there, and he's he he's just like completely deflated, and he says, uh, "Where are they?" And he goes, "They're in the, the neutral zone." And he goes, "I'm not going to incite a war." Turns around and leaves, and his crew pretty much mutinies on him though, huh. and so you know basically he, you know, gets knocked down because he didn't you know control his crew. Chekhov just blew up his ship. <laughs> <laughs> and wound up destroying four ships in the process (laughs) but of course he killed all the evacuees as well so (laughs) but you know Chekhov was always trying to be like Jim Kirk and so he he was like you know you got to change the rules and whatever And, and they were talking about what Jim Kirk did in other things um but yeah I mean it's it's that's a book and it's uh it's a fun book uh to me it didn't feel completely authentic in it's represent representing of the, of the different characters, uh, mostly Jim's, James Kirk, but, uh, yeah. but you know, they, they nailed Scotty. I thought they nailed Scotty perfectly. Uh, but the checkoff and Sulu is just like, I don't know. They're kind of treat them like, like they're not good enough. And I didn't
0: like that, you know, it was a lesson for them yeah. rather than the test of character that it should have been well I think that's it it's like that's so I think probably every kid has to take it because it is a test of character right
1: okay so shall we move on I mean uh, all our distractions are out of the way yeah. now. we uh <laughs> sure. okay.
0: we do have a new iTunes review would you like to read it or would you like me to read it
1: uh go ahead and read it
0: I will read it because I haven't I can't up. believe
1: it we got an iTunes review. yeah
0: we have four we now. had
1: not gotten <laughs> we had not gotten a letter an email a recipe. Uh, Dirty Limic Uh anything since September
0: and now we got an iTunes review. ITunes review. This is from Blue Bullet two thousand one. It says it's five stars. It says Great Burn Podcast and more. The host put on a very interesting show reviewing Burn Comics slash graphic novels and talking about their specific history, including also how the book connects to the larger comic universe at the time. Five stars. By the way, even if you don't know much about Burn, listen anyway. The- The comic discussions are great and always entertaining.
1: Yeah, and actually, um, this guy reached out to me on Facebook. Uh, His name is David Thompson. So, David, thanks for the the kind words.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
1: All right. So, uh, anything else in Star Trek news? Uh,
0: Other than the big, other than this is, well, we'll kind of pull back the curtain and say that we're going to, this is not the official one of our Star Trek uh, shows we're doing, but because this is the 50th anniversary of Star Trek all this year. We are going to be sprinkling in some John Byrne Star Trek episodes uh, amongst the rest of our regular episodes, so that we're going to kind of celebrate Star Trek for a whole year. Yeah, I, and and
1: I, I'm looking forward to it. There's a lot of a lot of a lot of cool ground here that he's done in just a, a real short time, um, and most of it you'll be able to find in either the Star Trek the John Byrne collection or any of the trade paperbacks, um, and it, it easily easily uh,
0: found. Yeah, in one time or another, I think. Yeah, the John—the one that I'm reading from, the John Byrne Star Trek collection, is pretty affordable. It's nice hardback, and make sure you there's go to. There's, oh, there's a paperback. There's a paperback of that. Oh, it's even that yeah. But I think I got this. Of course, I went through the Tutu Freaks Amazon link. I think I got it for about thirty bucks. It wasn't terribly expensive, and it's a nice, Gosh. big, thick book. It's all his Star Trek stuff. Now it's not the photo novels, the Fumettis, but it's all his hand-drawn Star Trek stuff.
1: And we will be covering a Fumetti at some point in the near future. We will. Yes. Okay. But today's book, today's book is Star Trek Romulans, The Hollow Crown, book one, uh, made by IDW Publishing, which had a $3.99 cover price, uh, 22 pages of story, but I think there was about 10 pages worth of ads, So it wound up being 32 pages total. Your writer and artist is John Byrne handling pencils, inks, and all that colors by Leonard O'Grady. Letters, this is uh, something of a little bit of a contested point because it says in one book it says Robbie Robbins did the letters. In another
0: book it says Neil Uyutaki did the letters. And in
1: another book says
0: they both did the lettering. Well, my information says that Neil Uutaki did issue yeah. one and Robbie Robbins did issue two.
1: Yeah, I, I saw that on one website and then another website said it was the other way around but again you know it's <laughs> it's uh, crazy but it looks like that both worked on it however I'll say this I didn't notice a difference from I one page to the next or anything that said two different people did anything in the lettering the lettering was basically crisp yeah I don't I don't pick up
0: on lettering so I didn't
1: I, I mean I you usually only pick up on lettering when it's bad or when they make a flicker mistake yeah and do you know what a flicker mistake is right Uh. I'm going to lie and say no. Um, One of the very early issues of Steve Ditko's and Stan Lee's Doctor Strange. uh, Doctor Strange was put into a trap and a candle was a main part of the trap. And I think it was Baron Mordo. And he says, with every flicker of the candle, your death looms closer. And when they tightened the book down to put in digest format uh the l and the i oh, okay. came together so it didn't say flicker I, I i think i understand which yeah, yeah. And, and apparently that that pocketbook was was recalled as I wonder, a result.
0: i wonder why
1: and it's it's happened a number of times through the years uh but you know Some letters are smart enough to know that when they've got the word like flicker or, you know, other words that follow along the same lines, that they do certain things to make sure that if it does get compressed, it won't represent the bad word that you don't want people to read. Right. All right. Well, moving on. The book was edited by Chris Rael. It was published in September of 2008, though it's got a printing date of October 2008. And here is my synopsis. I wrote this uh, over the last couple hours, so please forgive me if I make any grammatical
0: mistakes. I made spelling mistakes, but you're not going to be able to catch them. Okay, well, <laughs> not not to break in, but did you want to uh, at the same time the same month this came out? He had finished. I think he was finishing his last issue on Star Trek: Assignment Earth, issue five of that. And he did uh, the you know, the Angel books he did based on the Buffy Buffyverse. Oh, yeah. He did yeah. Angel After the Fall. I'm not familiar with that, but. Yeah, the only the only one that I'd read was the the Frankenstein story so far. Yeah, which we still plan to cover
1: sometime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there was one other. Me, wasn't
0: uh, Justice League classified around that time, or is that before that? It uh, must have been before. I saw that a few trade paperbacks came out, but that was just stuff. Uh, 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 I think it's just being reprinted. It wasn't any new work from him. Oh, okay. Like Elissa Oh cool. Hotmu, and that was just a reprint.
1: Ah, let me take a look here real quick. 2008, Man, that's that's very, very close to the... I mean, it, basically 2008 was the last year that he did anything for DC or, or Marvel. I think he'd already walked away from Marvel for good. And um, DC, his last thing was JLA Classified. And he probably finished that a few months before. And I've read that. I just read that real recently. Um, and, and I actually liked that. I mean, the artwork is beautiful. Mark Farmer's inks on there I thought were really nice. Um and, uh, yeah, you're right. A lot of reprints, a lot of trade paperbacks going out around that time. Oh, um, he had just finished Assignment Earth. I see that. And Justice League. Okay, JLA Classified, he finished in May. All right. So, yeah, he is he is way done with that. And he's yeah. done with DC Comics at that point in time then. And so it, it, his production's changed now. You know, if you ask what John Byrne is doing today, aside from his Star Trek New Visions, which is the Fumetti books, all he's doing is commission work. And that is, you know, people get in touch with his guy, his uh, I guess his manager or whatever. And they ask, I want John Byrne to draw Wolverine in this costume doing this kind of pose or I want you to draw these characters or whatever. Uh, and he charges, you know, uh, depending on what type of character or characters it is. Um, I know his anything X-Men gets charged a lot more than, say, a DC character or an Avengers character or whatever. Because it's just there's so much demand for it that he's, that he's doing it. But at the same time, it's helping him scratch an itch because it allows him to play in that, that sandbox of Marvel or DC. True. And put the characters in the situations that people want to see. But it's, at the same time, depriving the rest of us of seeing him work in those sandboxes and give us new stories and and whatnot. He's not actually, professionally, aside from the commissions, doing comic book art. And it kills me. But at the same time, he's been beaten down so much by those that decided they hate him. Maybe because of his acerbic wit. Or just, you know, that he says whatever's on his mind. Um, or they still blame him for leaving the X Men way back when. But no, uh, well, that, that's yeah. kind of
0: silly to that. But he he can be a little frank. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, this now, is the uh, I think the this is the newest book we've covered, isn't it? This yes. Book this is, is only what's eight years old.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to believe it's eight years old now already, or se- seven and a half, seven years, couple months. But um, the, the you know, well, we'll talk as we as we get into it. Um, the, he'd already done a couple Star Trek stories. I think – no, no, it was um, the, the Romulans. Was that the first thing he first did? first thing it know, he did, did. He did. It was Alien Spotlight Romulans. Well, no, he did Assignment Earth first. I mean we just saw he did Assignment Earth before this because he, he, did, he did the four-issue series of Assignment Earth before the Alien Spotlight, I do believe. But you can look at that chronology again. I could be wrong.
0: I don't know. I, I, I was going on wait the way they've got him in the book. In my book, and I thought that was chronological. If that's the case, it's Alien Spotlights, Romulans, then Assignment on Earth, then Romulans, Balance of oh, Terror. Okay. Yeah, then yeah, this yeah. book,
1: now did did Balance of Terror actually get its own book? Because I only found it for the uh, trade
0: paperback or the collected edition. I didn't see it as. Uh, it may be a trade, but my my uh, this book doesn't uh, doesn't break them down that way. So I don't know. I'd never hadn't heard of that one until. I got this I saw it in a book. Yeah. Okay, but I I see how that goes there. All right. So,
1: let's uh move on and get into our synopsis. The story takes place immediately after the original series episode Balance of Terror, where actor Mark Leonard portrays a Romulan commander Who's testing the capabilities of the Romulan Empire's newest vessel, a warbird with an incredibly powerful plasma weapon and a cloaking device that renders the vessel almost completely undetectable to enemy sensors. As we all know, Captain Kirk spars with the Romulan commander in a sci-fi version of Run Silent, Run Deep. Of course, Kirk was victorious, and in the end, the Romulan commander chose death over surrender, destroyed his ship, his crew, and ultimately himself. The story of this book opens right after that with the Romulan Praetor in a fit of anger ordering the execution of the wife, Oren, and the son, Gaius, of the aforementioned Romulan commander. As the Praetor walks off to solitude, he's transported away from his citadel to a Klingon vessel, where Commander Koloth, who we last saw in the original series episode The Trouble with Tribbles, puts the Praetor at ease and speaks to the vanity of the Mad Emperor, convincing him to start machinations towards direct conflict with the Federation. He also convinces him to spare the wife and child of the dead Romulan commander and to use his image as a galvanizing point for the Romulan people to gather behind in the um upcoming fight against the Federation. Oran takes her place in the Romulan Senate where she can speak of her father and her husband's wisdom in hopes of bringing the Romulan people away from the madness of the Praetor. Their son, Gaius, takes his place in service and is promoted up through the ranks as the Praetor tries to gain favor with the widow senator. The Klingons and Romulans take part in war games to test the true capabilities of the new Romulan warbirds. The Romulan ship easily outmaneuvers the Klingon vessel, so much so that the Klingon observing aboard the warbird, hoping not to lose face in front of Koloth, gives away their position by dropping a communicator. The Klingons win the war game exercise, though Gaius spotted their treachery. He uh, He is told that to the Klingons, there is no such word as cheat, There is only to do whatever must be done to win. Meanwhile, the Praetors and the Klingons' plans appear to be backfiring on them as the dead commander's widow gains more and more power in the Senate as her message gains more and more steam. Koloth convinces a Praetor that it would be simpler to marry the widow to gain her power than it would be to kill her where she would become a martyr. Next, we see the Romulans, with a full force of warbirds, have the Enterprise at their mercy, as seen in the episode, The Deadly Years. We see that Captain Kirk uses a variation of the Corbomite maneuver to scare away the Romulans. All the while, young Gaius, aboard one of the Romulan vessels, knows it's a trick and gets his first glimpse of the ship that caused his father's death. He feels powerless as he sees the Enterprise warp away from the Romulan fleet. When Gaius returns to Romulus, he's chided by several Klingons at a bar, reminding him that Captain Kirk is his father's killer, and he got away from the Romulans that day. Gaius then goes home to see his mother, Oren, only to be held up by an Imperial guard, as the Praetor had been there to see Oren as well. Gaius then learns that the Praetor has proposed marriage to Oren and that she is accepted. Aboard the Klingon vessel, Koloth is relaxing with a Klingon smoking device as his subordinates report on the latest intrigue with young Gaius. Koloth is pleased and takes his ship to rendezvous with his commander to report on the success of his mission to date. It is here that we see that Koloth is reporting to Kor. Known by fans as the first Klingon from the original series episode, Errand of Mercy, Kor congratulates Kol- Koloth on his duplicitous work in setting the Romulans against the Federation in a bid to circumvent the Organians who made it impossible for the Federation and the Klingons to fight one another. He says that the names of Kor and Koloth will be jointly enshrined in the Hall of Heroes.
0: To be continued. Anyway, it's so what ve- did you, Very good synopsis. Very well done.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you very much. So and do you um, have any notes or anything to start off with
0: before we really dig into it? Ne- well, I've got one note that I'll, I will bring up now. This whole idea of them having to basically, like you said, circumvent the Organian Peace Treaty. Mm-hmm. There's a novel by James Blish, who wrote most of the novelized Star Trek episodes. Yes. If you've ever those. Yeah. It's called Spock Must Die. And in that story, the Klingons have somehow set up some type of Mind, mind scan field, or, a, or like a telepathic blocking field, some kind of fort field around Organi that prevents them from using their powers, which prevents them from, of course, stopping the two uh, powers from going to war. I haven't read the book in years, but from my memory, it was not wasn't a bad. wasn't a bad book, but it was interesting. It that, that kind of the same thing you're talking about here.
1: Right, right. Well, you know the the I mean the thing about all that. Of course, you know we see this with Star Wars as well. Is that with the books. And the the comic books and everything that's come out over the years, as, as much as we like some of it and other things, none of it is canon. Unless it was actually a TV episode. Um, and I mean, this is according to Richard Arnold, who's one of Roddenberry's guys. Um, the only true canon in Star Trek are the TV episodes. The animated series doesn't even count.
0: Oh, see, I thought the animated series was canon.
1: Uh no, not according to Richard Arnold, at least last I last I'd read he said that they that they weren't canon. And then only the first two seasons of Next Gen are canon. Because after that Roddenberry wasn't involved with the show. So I, I, and so none of the novels, none of the none of the So, you know, you could write one book that said that Kirk's, you know, grandfather was a Commander, someplace, and then someone else would write a book saying his grandfather was a pastry chef. You know, it didn't matter. They didn't, uh, the editors at Pocket Books or the various companies that handled the books, Del Rey and, and whatnot, uh, did not um, basically hold any kind of continuity.
0: Well, what about the, and I'm sure we'll probably get letters for this, the Star Wars expanded universe? Was that ever considered canon, or is it just Lucas let? allowed those stories to be told? Was it ever considered canon along with the movies? I think there was a certain number of novels that he originally allowed, you know, he gave the
1: blessing to, like the the Zahn books. Mm -hmm. But as more and more books came out, you know, Jedi Academy and all the other things, and they came up with Kyle Katarn and uh, you know all the things in the Dark Forces games, that there was so much that, you know, there's no no way that Lucas could have gone in and given his blessing on every single one of them. And I know a lot of things contradicted each other there. I mean, you know, it's – and and I've got a couple of the uh, books on audio that – one of them is like Jedi stories. And even the stuff in that contradicts what they showed in the movies because the way they showed in the movie is a Jedi master would have his Padawan and that's it. He'd have one Padawan, you know. Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then you saw how Yoda did like classes. I guess yeah. is what you'd say. Yoda was doing classes with the younglings and whatnot. But I don't think they ever had, you know, a master never had more than one Padawan. Well, it
0: was just Jedi and Preschool. They,
1: right, right. And but but in the the audiobooks I was listening to, they kind of circumvented all that and they had one master that had like four students and, you know, various stages of learning. And I couldn't listen to it just because
0: it it contradicted what I already knew from the movies. Well, if, if they were all canon, that would, to a certain degree, hamper any new stories being told, because you'd have to know what took place and fit your story to fit within that or universe. You, or you'd have
1: to write an episode where the main characters don't change at all, all the changes are the supporting characters that you bring
0: in. Right, or write about some obscure character that has nothing to do with the main characters. Exactly.
1: But uh, let me see. Now, as far as things that I found out here, now, one thing that I found in. Interesting was that uh, um, I don't know what if IDW just didn't intend on making, you know, one series or whatever, because all of his stories along this are actually broken up amongst several books. Um, The first one was Alien Spotlight Romulans, which was the the story that actually happened before Balance of Terror, where the Praetor shows the commander, the new war bird, and then the commander, you know, sitting there getting ready to go off to, you know, fight Kirk and everything. you know, Then, of course, you had uh, The Balance of Terror, which is not – as I understand it, I, I never saw it in actual print aside from the trade paperback or the collected edition. I, I didn't see that. There, did you actually see it, an issue
0: of the comic somewhere? I did never saw happen? it because I never saw it in my list of, of burned books trying to collect. I didn't know that existed.
1: Right. And then there was Romulans, A Hollow Crown. There was books one and two, which we just did, book one. And then there was Romulan schism, which was three issues, and that's uh, what follows up there. And you've got, and all of this, of course, is the Romulan point of view on everything that happens around that. And we just covered the part that covered Balance of Terror, and you know that you had the the deadly years. They're going to cover the Enterprise incident and you know other uh, other events that happen uh, in other shows. But you're only going to see it from the Romulan point
0: of view. You're never going to see it from. Kirk and Spock, in them. Right. This seems to to take place over possibly the first two seasons of Star Trek. Yeah, it, it, it actually three. It, it takes place over the course of all three. All three. Well, they don't. They yeah. don't cover. They don't really cover the Enterprise incident, other than just setting up the fact that they are they are starting to use Klingon design.
1: Right. Which is what and, you see
0: in Enterprise Incident.
1: Right, and this the, this series of books explains why they're using the uh, Klingon design. Right. And and uh, that was something that was done rather well. Now the other thing you know that, that I'll say about this though that was interesting is how I mean it, this was done back in Star Trek you know in the original series when they did Balance of Terror they based the rank and everything upon Roman ranks and they even used Roman names Decius and you know the centurion and whatnot so you you knew that they were using that 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 Roman structure of government. Uh, and, and so I guess that's why, you know, they use the Romulans as the names, you know, nobody, it, it, at least not, not in anything that I've read. And I haven't read any of Diane Dwayne stuff and I have no intention of, of reading it. I read, I read one of her books, I think Vulcans, uh, or Vulcan, but, or Spock's world. That's what it was. I read that, but I, I just don't have any intention of going back and reading, you know, her other stuff on the Romulans, but, to me, it would make sense that the Romulans aren't necessarily just an offshoot of Vulcans, but an offshoot of Vulcans and humans. And that's why they've got that Roman society built up because that would make make sense why their government is set up that way. And also it makes sense how they eschewed logic like the regular Vulcans do.
0: Uh, you know. Well, I just thought that was the – from the, the savage years that the Vulcans went through that the Romulans just didn't didn't take that road to logic the way the Vulcans did. They just stayed warlike and, and uh, emotional.
1: Well, I, I, you know, the thing is, is that all you're, all you're seeing is the military of it and hearing that description of them as warlike because all we know of them is what we fought and what the Federation has fought. When you look at any society, be it Klingon, Romulan, whatever... There's people somewhere that their job is to iron clothes and sell food and sweep up. You know, not everybody is a warrior. You yeah, know? yeah, I'm sure but, on,
0: on Kronos there are Klingon gro- grocers and and, yeah. and 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 tailors and, <laughs> and guys that clean houses and you no know, <laughs> things like that. Don't measure the inseam. Okay. <laughs>
1: Uh, but I, I really like the, the, the use of the, of the Roman structure, though. And it made me think of uh, I, Claudius and um, the Russell Crowe movie Gladiator. Of course, yeah. both of them had the same guy in them. Uh, but uh, any, anyway, uh, I did find you know, some different notes here that, um, I don't know, they're not necessarily great things like you know, the, the things we find out you know, and other things. But um, there were two covers produced, a retailer incentive pencil art cover. And then the final color version. Now, I hate when they do this because now when you go to a comic book shop, if they've got more than one cover, the regular cover sells at regular price. But any alternate covers, they've already bumped up the price.
0: Oh, yeah. That's that's usually their – I know that's their incentive if they order 100 books, they get so many of these uh, promotional covers. And that's you know how they're going to supplement their, their income by and, – and there are people that will feel the need to buy every variant cover – when the new issue mm-hmm. comes out. Now this right here kills me though. This issue sold
1: an estimated eight thousand seventy four copies in the comic specialty stores in September of two thousand eight. Now it doesn't say what it sold after that. And they don't have numbers on bookstores or any other place that might, you know, sell comics or online sales or anything like that. They only have the specialty comic stores. And apparently it was only eight thousand. That's not now, a lot. That that doesn't seem to be a lot for me, even in today's day and age. But I'll be honest. Back in 2008, I didn't know this was going on. I didn't know that this was what he was doing. I mean, I would go to the comic book shop from time to time. I wasn't going to it with any regularity. But I had no clue whatsoever that John Byrne was doing this kind of stuff. As far as I knew, he had pretty much left comics altogether. Because I just
0: wasn't seeing his work. I don't remember if I had seen... I wanted to say the first thing of his I picked up was... His McCoy story, mm-hmm. which is the last thing he did before he did the Fumettis, but I, I don't remember if I was aware that he is doing some Star Trek stuff. Uh, I I guess the last thing I thought remember him doing was when he came back and started doing his next men again, and he picked up that series. Yeah. And now,
1: you know, w- what I did find out though is that Byrne himself was reluctant to do that because he doesn't like doing likenesses and having to worry about get getting you know actor likeness approvals. But the way that he did this and all the other stories that he's done so far, you know, he stayed away from Kirk and crew. He's only worked around it. And even in the the crew story, you know, he focused on number one and, you know, the other people. So he was able to to work with ones where he didn't have to worry about, you know, photo referencing. The only one that you really see that's photo referenced is Mark Leonard himself. And the book is actually dedicated to him for that. This book? Yeah, the uh, trade paperback.
0: Okay, it's is not,
1: actually dedicated to Mark Leonard.
0: Well, he's got a lot of uh, of actor likenesses in this. So he's got William Campbell. He's got John Calicos. He does have one of, uh, mm-hmm. and he does Mark Leonard. And he does have one of Shatner. Later, yeah. it's just a, it's just a single panel.
1: Yeah, it's a single panel. I mean, he, again, it's like he he was trying to keep all that stuff to minimal. All right, you want to look at the, the each pages?
0: Yeah, yeah. Jump into it. I'll I look. tell you, the first page, that the, the prater's ear. That's freaking huge. <laughs> well, I love this splash page yeah. because he's has got so much energy. And but, anger, and, and yeah. anger. But this Prater is so—he's almost comical in the way he, it's that way. Byrne will draw a character that's not quite realistic. The way he, everybody else in this yeah. book looks, An exaggeration. but he's not quite a not. It's it's really straddles that line so that he's just a little bit. Cartoonish. He's got his ears seem to stick out further than the rest of the Romulans, and of course he's just chewing the scenery with all his expressions and everything else he's doing. But
1: well, look how his eyebrows go beyond his head. Oh yeah, he's got the yeah, (laughs) he's got flaming eyebrows, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But that yeah, that's that's just uh, I mean it's it's a beautiful shot there, just larger than life, bigger than uh, yeah, everything is just an exaggeration. And he's
0: he's almost elfin. The yeah, way yeah.
1: I was thinking that because you know we've been watching the Shannara Chronicles lately, and the way that they, they do the el- the elves' ears in that is
0: what it makes me think of. Well, and this is this is TV. This is ne- uh, original series Romulans, not mm-hmm. next gen. Yes, because uh, next gen exactly. always gave that extra kind of a forehead. I don't yeah, know I, I
1: never understood why they did that.
0: I think I, it's just to make them look a little different than Vulcans.
1: I know, but it's just spending more money. When you can just do the ears, yeah, but I mean, Michael Westmore's got to do something. Yeah, it will be years before he gets the face off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this guy needs
0: some dental work too. Oh, those are those are uh, those are classic burn kind of broken chiseled yeah. teeth. Yep, yep.
1: All right, so and I, I like the I actually like the 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 coloring on the background because you notice how it kind of fades from that darker green to the lighter green as it goes down. It's not one solid color.
0: Yeah, he's definitely it's a he's definitely using a gradient there. That's probably photoshopped in.
1: Yeah, and then for me the next page is a it's a two page splash, but whoever uh, put together this copy actually put it together seamlessly. So for me it's all one uh, page. It's, I, I'm I'm looking at a digital copy, and um, it's gorgeous the way this is done. So it's a it's a nice big shot. Of Course you have all those people sitting there standing around cowering trying not to be noticed by the praetor as he is uh, walking along, shaking his fist in the air.
0: Right next like,
1: the floor. And I, I almost can hear all the people sitting there going, Death lock desk lock desk lock <laughs> death, lock desk lock desk, lock
0: <laughs> Oh, that's one for Bill Robinson right there. Yes.
1: And um, then, of course, I didn't talk about this particular subplot or these two points here. If you look in the bottom left hand corner or, or at the top left hand side, you see uh, another Romulan uh, male who's talking to an older Romulan gentleman. Now, in the episode Balance of Terror, you had the commander, you had his centurion friend and counsel. The, the white haired guy here is the brother. Of that man, now the white-haired guy the 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 I mean the um, centurion that was on the ship also happens to have been the commander's father in law okay and, and so yeah, this guy is the uncle of uh, of that woman oh, the the uncle of Oren. The other guy that he's talking to is the cousin of the praetor who praetor. had an equal uh, claim on the romulan throne. And yet, whoever the Praetor is, he's the one that actually has it now. Because you can see he's got he shares, you know, physical characteristics with the Praetor.
0: Yeah, just not quite as cartoony. He looks a little more. That is so if, if you could, well, if you could draw somebody as being petulant, that's what they. That's how Byrne has drawn this guy.
1: Yes, he's just a yes.
0: spoiled, uh, pissed off little kid.
1: Yeah, he's King
0: Jeffrey. Exactly from exactly. Game exactly. of Thrones. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, when you brought or that point up, this. This could have used some editor's notes so that you knew, oh, well, check out previous issues just to let us know. I mean, you can kind of piece together what's going on by reading this, but it'd be nice, to, you know, especially for sales to say, well, if you want to the story that happened that this is it referring to, go and read this issue, you know? Right. Now, let me ask you here. On the the left side there that's… That third
1: panel. I mean, this, it's the second panel from the left on the bottom, where they've got the Romulan Warbird on a little statue post there. Mm-hmm. Does that look like Kirby Crackle on the, the pedestal below? Or, or I mean, it's black dots with the it blue could and be. everything. It looks it like almost it could looks be. Like, it's like a, a play on Kirby Crackle, almost. It could be Kirby Crackle. Yeah. I, I, I just find it interesting, the, the, the way that they did that. But I sure would like to have that model.
0: <laughs> now he tore it up.
1: But yeah, he 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 threw it to the ground and destroyed it. <laughs> he sure does like to wave his fists in the air, though.
0: Yeah, he's very animated.
1: Yeah, and they don't do anything to show you that, uh, uh, other than the, the transition, you know, from one room to another, that he was transported somewhere.
0: Right, because when I when I was first reading this, because this is my first time to read this, when I yeah. read it last night, it looked when you it's this bottom panel when he's kind of it looks like he's startled. He thought, oh, he's been stabbed. Yeah, or something. But next thing you know, he's on a Klingon battle cruiser a nice uh, D7 Klingon battlecruiser. Nicely drawn. Yes. And this Klingon, well, obviously the one at the bottom is William Campbell as Koloth, but this other one, this Cor- Cor-Lott, Yeah, I kept looking at him to see if maybe he was drawn referenced as a, maybe a Klingon that had been on uh, the original series, but...
1: I, I think he's the guy that, that basically made the comparison of
0: the Enterprise to a garbage scout. That's, that's who I thought it was, <sighs> but... I mean, you know, it doesn't look like he could be him. I mean, it could be supposed to be the character. It doesn't look like that actor because yeah. his, his one, his facial hair is different. Yeah. But, but, that, this but because
1: ahead. he was there with Koloth, that's what I, that's that's who I kept thinking of. And he that's the been. voice I kept hearing in my head. Now, I tell you, burn shirted make Coloth seem a lot more manly <laughs> in this series than William Campbell uh, ever was, because William Campbell is basically the poor man's Liberace. You know, and you'll remember him also from uh, what was that episode? The Squire of Gothos. It's Trelane. Yeah. Trelane, yes. And, and I mean, he was basically ripping right off of Liberace in that. So, the, I mean, the way Burns got him drawn here, he's definitely a bit more swarthy. Swarthy, like the other Klingons are. He's more swarthy and more masculine in everything. He seems to be a lot more in command than what you remember Koloth as.
0: Well, he's if in that. The first time you see him is Trouble Retribbles, and that's when they basically decided they weren't gonna do that dark, kind of a bronze makeup they did on John Calico's first time you saw him and Aaron of Mercy. Right. They decided, yeah. Oh, I'm just gonna give him goatees and put you know, we're not gonna kinda... and then they almost went overboard when you see Kang in season I guess Day of the Dove, I guess season three. Yeah, season two. It was almost green. Yeah. He, he, he was actually almost over, made me maybe. think of
1: the green green gargantua. You know. Yeah. But um so they easily sway this guy to their way of thinking, and I love it when he gets brought back down to to Romulus or wherever, and they're about to execute a wren and her son and he just goes in and blows the guy away, disintegrates the guy
0: well, and she kind of sees right through him he's like,
1: "Oh, yeah, what She's, do you think
0: you're doing?" She's like, "Well, I think they were obeying your orders. You told them to kill us." <laughs>
1: I mean, she she always states the obvious. And, and the thing is, you know, he keeps throwing out there, you warned me, lady, you warned yeah. me, <laughs> or whatever. But, I mean, you know, he's call, she's calling him on every one of those shots. Now, it is funny how we get all this, and then all of a sudden, at the bottom of this page, and I don't know what page number that is, um, when it transitions from the, the Praetor to the statue, because that's definitely many months later. There are some big
0: time jumps as you. Uh, yeah, this. there
1: was a a big time jump there, but there's nothing there really to to tell you that that happened, other than you you just have to surmise from the conversation, and, and you've got crowds, throngs of people down there, and and the statues built, and that that right there is what tells you that 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 time has passed, is that they've had enough time to build this
0: to build the statue. Unless they replicated the whole thing. I don't know. There's a replicator that big. I do think they had replicators back then, anyway. Yeah. Well, they have food replicators. Well, yeah, yeah. Do you uh, you don't see it so much here, but do you think that uh, is it er, erlen Arlen? Er What's her name? Arren. Arren. Yeah, that he might have based her a little bit on Kirstie Alley.
1: I didn't see that. I I do see. I mean, I see a burn character in here. I mean, this is a burn female, and yeah. uh, different enough because of the, and thankfully so because of the the eyebrows. And the hair that she doesn't look like, you know, some of his more obvious Sue Storm, Jean Grey kind of thing, but it's still a burn female. And, and you know, he's given her the very, very nice, nice, puffy, pouty lips, the the smaller nose and the very well-formed cheeks, you know, but not, not completely sunken. So she looks like Raven from the Teen Titans. Um, but. You know, he's made a very uh, an attractive visage here. I mean, in the, in the next issue, the, the the sequence with her and 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 the emperor is hilarious, and I'm just like, now that's a woman there, you know. But <laughs> but and I mean, she seems familiar, but ag- again, not any. I, I'm not thinking Kirstie Alley because I never found Kirstie Alley that attractive. Even even back in Khan, I didn't find her that attractive. I she sounded whiny to me. I I, I, f- I found her Vulcan was okay, but not completely Vulcan. But I remember someone saying, "Well, she's not really Vulcan; she's half Vulcan, half Romulan." That's and,
0: what I, that's what I was going to reference because that wonderful that was maybe why he might have, and maybe I'm just reading it into it that she just was, you know, they're just. I think it was later on there was a panel that she just looked like Christie Alley, and I thought, "Well, because she's supposed to be half Romulan, which explains why she's a little more emotional and of Khan." Yeah. But and, I don't I don't know where they ever really made that mention that she's had
1: it's one of those things Robin. like
0: it's never it's never mentioned uh anywhere in the uh I,
1: I wish that she had come back though or uh I mean I didn't ever care for Robin Curtis's performance either. But I wish that she'd come back for Star Trek six and they'd done that as, you know, Savick being the the Valeris role rather than Valeris. That would have had a little more emotional that would have had a lot of of because I, mean, I mean just Spock's reaction and all that you know again we're going back to to something else but yeah uh, I I actually liked the way he he handled her character and all this he was very consistent with her in the whole thing though her and and Gaius now it's very hard with a uh, a young Romulan man to not make him look like every other Romulan male yeah fortunately they had all those guys in those nice big pill bottle helmets. <laughs> Or they look like pawns on the chessboard, you know.
0: Well, all of them look. Even the the older Romulans look a little bit like Mark Leonard, and all the young mm-hmm. ones look basically like like young like young Vulcans. You look like a young yeah. Spock.
1: Yeah. Like a young Spock, exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Did you think um, that uh, Romulus looked a little bit like their architectures looked a little Kryptonian to you?
1: Yes. Yes, I did. Uh, and and this is the thing is that, is that um, there's been so much canon material that has shown us what Romulus looks like and the Klingon planets look like. And I'm surprised Byrne didn't go back to any of that and retrofit that, you know, architecture to look like it did, you know, like maybe have gone, you know, taken the, the next gen stuff and retrofitted it to look a 60s version of, of what that stuff looked like, you know?
0: Well, maybe because yeah. in, in in his mind, he was pulling strictly from the original series, and Next yeah. Gen hadn't been around yet, so maybe and those rules he can, set up for himself.
1: I, I, I can see that, because all he had to go with was what you saw in the
0: in, in those episodes, and there wasn't really a whole lot to see. No, I mean, we get, we get the Romulans, really. I was thinking about that. For as big an enemy as they are, an adversary for Trek, we see them in three... Two, actually, two episodes: Balance of Terror and Enterprise Incident. Now they're mentioned in the Deadly Years. Mm-hmm. And other than that, that's all you see them. Right now, going back to this, one of the things about this book
1: that's so different from everything else of Burns that we've done is that there is political intrigue. There is a lot of a lot of you know exposition, but it's not exposition to give you the history, it is basically moving the story along. Uh, I, I found this was like a quick read because it was such a gripping story. Very sure. good and it's showing that political intrigue and all the the, the, the the back deals and everything that's going on. You've got the cousin who thinks that he should, you know, have the throne and now not only does he have to sit there and contend with the mad emperor, but he's also got to deal with uh Arend's son Gaius, who would be the next heir to the throne. True, if they get married. You know? Yeah. Um, and and so there's a there's a you know good bit of interesting storytelling going on in here, and it's in this, this the way of the old Roman stuff. And then you've got aboard the ships and the the little war games going on with the the Klingons and the Romulans.
0: Did you what, what did you think of all that? I first thought it, it felt a little out of place. Like it didn't seem like it flowed with the rest of the story. I mm-hmm. think I understand why they were doing it. Just to test out, and just again to show us the uh, the further how the Klingons are kind of digging themselves deeper into the Romulan uh, government. But yeah. I, I, t- a second time, I thought I, I did think the <laughs> I don't know what page you got. Well, when, when the uh, right after the the bird of prey cloaks and they attack the Klingons because they've yeah. kind of gone up underneath them, and he tells them to a full spherical pattern. Right. So do you take that 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 Klingon, the that the the Klingon K nine K seven? What he meant to say was D seven photon torpedoes. Exactly. Yes. That's what I thought. That that is wild. That is absolutely crazy. But it's it's using that blanket
1: concussive blast. It's not like a photon torpedo, but uh, you know, I'd say I'd, I'd say it's like something that that blows up in just a form of energy. There's no physical you know thing because it's supposed to they're not supposed to be damaging each other it's not
0: not like full power
1: right um but it probably has a a wider range and disperses real quickly
0: it's kind of like doing like a depth charge
1: yeah but i mean he's got a real cool vision at the bottom of that page on the left side where you can
0: see the klingon chip is kind of spinning around it's a cool graphic i just understand what it's that is almost that that'll almost make you dizzy the way he's drawn it well, the, the one above it where you see the warbird,
1: basically it's it's almost mimicking that shot from Wrath of Khan where the Reliant comes, you know, right over the top of the saucer section on yeah. the Enterprise. And that's what, the, you know, the 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 Rom and the warbird is coming up behind that Klingon vessel and coming over top of it. But in doing that, they're exposing themselves. But see, they seem to have gotten away and cloaked again so that the Klingons just start spinning around. And then the warbird, uh, Warbird apparently goes underneath it at that point. And then of course the Klingon drops the communicator and whoops. There, there they are and they, you know, they get blown away. I gotta say though, I love the way Byrne draws those Romulan uniforms. I always thought the Romulan uniforms they used on there were really cool looking, not very efficient. Like you get tangled up in your stuff all the time. Yeah. But I thought they were they were really, really cool. I, I hated the the Klingons basically wearing a Chandler Bing sweater vest. A tank top. But uh <laughs> Yeah, tank top, yes. Uh, but, you know,
0: the, the the Romulan outfits were always kind of cool. Well, he's using... Uh, looks. I don't know if it's a type of Zipitone or something yeah. that he's putting this pattern in that is mimic from, if you watch the original series, it had those little triangles yeah. or deltas or something on it. But um, I'd say I didn't quite catch what was going on because I didn't make the connection. The guy drops his communicator, whatever he drops, to make this noise. I didn't make that connection because I, I was thinking he was on the the Klingon ship. I thought, okay, well, how is he? No, he's on the
1: Romulan warbird.
0: I realized after he said, he you know, you talk about him cheating, that he's yeah. giving, and that's again a a a drawback or a callback right. to um, Balance of Terror because when Spock reaches up and hits the button, exactly. And of course, you know, obviously, we know sound travels through space uh, and gives away <laughs> gives away their position. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> that was my notes. It's like later he says, "You cheated." I went. How did he cheat? I didn't sin? yeah, and then his excuse, or his reasoning is that there is no such word as cheat, uh, young Romulan. There's only to do whatever you must do to win that's right. to me sounds like Kirk's no win scenario that he doesn't believe in, and then and he'll do whatever he, you know change the rules to to do what he needs to win right but It's kind like, of so what sounds like the Klingon's doing,
1: yep, and then we see here you know i mean the 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 young Gaius of course, is just like, oh. They cheated. They cheated, you know. But he just has to sit there and take it, and it's they have to take it because the the their praetor has told them you're going to work with these guys. Yeah, and so you got to you got to eat the crap that they feed you, and so they just have to take it and go on. And then you see that the mother is really making strides in the Senate, and that the the praetor is just really getting rankled about the whole thing, and he's walking around in his Hugh Hefner bathrobe with his. <laughs> What is
0: that he's holding? Though is that a smoker? No, it's. I think it's what he's talking to. He's talking. To, or is it? Oh, I think he's listening. He's got a listening device. So he can hear them speak. Oh, hear what's going on in the Senate. Right. It's like a like a directional mic. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense.
1: It was easy to get that confused with the gold lacing that's on the bathrobe
0: too. Yeah. You can't. Well, at first, when I first saw this, I thought it was a communication device. And he was talking. Yeah. To Koloth. Then I realized that Koloth was in the same room with him.
1: Now, do you think that panel of him on the bottom left looks like a drunk McCoy?
0: <laughs> where, he's, where he says, Lonely, I am the praetor? Yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: it looks like a drunk version of Dr. McCoy, the way he's uh, that
0: eyebrows up and. <laughs> a little bit. This and guy that, is very. Uh, I do say Byrne draws him wonderfully slimy and, and. Yes.
1: Now, when Koloth is sitting there doing the hourglass thing with his hands. Um, someone else out, out on the, on the internet had made a Tarantino comment out of that because you know Tarantino likes to draw things in the air in his movies, mm-hmm. and I just like yeah would they would the Klingons still use
0: that kind of? hmm? Well, this is from Trouble with Tribbles. No, yeah. because he says when he's on the space station, he talks to Kurt. He says, "What does he say? We don't have." He I mean, makes a mention that we don't have females on our on our. Uh, Ships. And he, yeah. makes the, he makes that hourglass kind of gesture with his hands. Oh, yeah. Man, I didn't even remember that. And see, now I have to go back and watch Trouble of Tribbles.
1: There you go. And then watch Trials and Tribulations. And more Tribbles and more Troubles. That's the animated one, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And isn't, isn't Burn doing a triple episode? He's doing a, a, Tribble a issue, Or, somebody, or did somebody
0: do a Tribbles? Is he doing a Tribbles for Eddie?
1: Yeah. I mean, is he doing it? Or did somebody already do a triple story? Cause I, I think I remember hearing something about a new triple story. Uh, I don't. Yeah, it, it's the sad thing is that I haven't gone back and read any of the other IDW stuff. I I, I think I want to read Year Four and and go on from there. What, what do y'all think? What are what are what are some of the better IDW Trek stories? Because I just don't know what's good and what isn't. Because it's going to be hit or miss based on on the writer. Burn oh, yeah. has Burn has a bead on this stuff. He's got a genuine love for the material. And he finds a way of working with it without intruding on what you already know.
0: Well, that shows and, that absolutely shows yeah. that his love of the source material comes through in everything he writes on this, and he does have the characters down pretty pat. Yes. Artistically and the way he's writing them. Yes. Let's see. And then that very okay. We're we're we're
1: moving on further, and she's gone through the Senate, and now the the Praetor has invited her to his place for dinner and he touches her hand and it's that that's a slimy moment you know when when the whole
0: thing is the whole thing is yeah he's so obvious I think he's being he thinks he's being so smooth and so subtle and
1: uh, I I gotta tell you a story though from from my past Uh, I was uh, working in IT and I was setting up people to be able to work from home and this wasn't like, you know, agents or anything. This is like uh, managers and, and stuff like that. And I had this uh, this manager come in and he was supposed – I'm supposed to set up his laptop and stuff so he can take it home and get on the network. And I had my hand down on the desk and he put his hand on mine like that. an accident? No. Okay. But wasn't an accident. But I know how she felt in that moment <laughs> there. <laughs> <laughs> Pulled my hand up and like – well, there you go. You are ready to go? Go on. You, you, you can go now. <laughs> yeah. Well, wow. isn't that special? What is that? That's her favorite, though. Her favorite dish. The pink thing with the tentacles that coming off.
0: That is on. lobster. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what it looks like.
1: Now, yeah, and and you know, it, and he didn't capitalize on this. He could have shown the food all being broken up into. Their own portions. I mean, you know how we, they talked about your portion yeah. and all that. you set in balance of terror, and they took that to an excruciating level in next gen, where they they showed that Romulans eat all their foods in separate portions. They eat all of one portion before they eat the next. You know, like they eat their green beans before they eat their corn, or you know. That's
0: how I eat my food. I eat my food one at a time.
1: I can't. I, I I mix it up. No, oh, no. Nope, I, nope. I mean, I've- I mix it up. I just. You know, one thing, and then a bite of this, a bite of that. Uh-huh. Let's let's mix up the flavors. Let's let's get a little variety going in. My food can't touch,
0: and I eat it one at a time.
1: Okay, so I'm going to move this along. The next page, of course, is a double-page set. And Gaius is aboard a Romina Warbird, and he seems to get a lot of favor, if you've noticed. And th- this commander is trying to educate him uh, and show him his place at the same time, without being disrespectful. If you notice, right? But basically, this is the incident from the Deadly Years, and Kirk is using the the variation of the Corbomite maneuver to to scare all the Romulans away.
0: But and but, the, but he sees through it. The 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 young Gaius.
1: Yeah, but again, the commander's like, you know, why? How how can we take that chance? True. How like, can we possibly take the chance that he is? you know, bluffing here. Cause if
0: he's not, then we're all dead. True. The, the commander probably realizes the trap too, but he's just being more prudent about it. Right now. I didn't mention this before,
1: but I'm, I'm mentioning it now. You notice of course um, on the, on the bridge of the Romulan ship, you've got that female officer or uh, female crewman mm-hmm. at the controls there. And um, I, it, we actually noticed one earlier uh, that they didn't show that uh, i mean obviously they showed a, a romulan commander in the uh, enterprise incident but um they they did not show a romulan female just working as a crewman on the bridge or within uh, within the vessel like they like they're showing here right but at least you know that we know from the enterprise incident that such a thing is possible if they're if they're going to be a commander
0: right just, just
1: because we didn't see him doesn't mean that there weren't yeah uh, now lower grade. How, do you, how do you feel about the 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 ships that are drawn on this two page spread. This is this is the one page that I really have a complaint with. Uh, some of the perspectives are a little wonky. The perspectives are wonky and the dimensions don't look right on on everything. Even the enterprise itself, it, it 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 looks I mean it looks like anybody could have drawn
0: that. That doesn't look like a burn piece of art right there. No, but it's yeah this the engineering section looks a little like the nacelles a little too far forward, maybe. Yeah, it, it's just it just doesn't look right to me. Every, I mean, even the warbirds themselves look thin. They do look thin. They look. I mean, I think they are supposed to be, but they do look a little too flat. Yeah,
1: uh, it just yeah, too flat. That's it. Too flat. Now everything above and below it looks great, and then the Enterprise warping away in the bottom. I love that shot. That's beautiful. Yeah, I mean that that makes me think of Wrath Khan there when the Enterprise is. Warping away from the Genesis explosion, but then the next page again. Next on the next page, there's like a lack of detail on the on the warbird or the warbirds there that are coming back in. Because you're supposed I, to be I, seeing one, two, three, four, five, five different warbirds. The one that's closest to you should at least have some some definition on it. You know?
0: I think they just they just don't have a lot of definition on the top surface. Right. And that's just he's just throwing what there is.
1: Yeah, that's that that is true. I guess I, I I guess I'm just expecting to see more. You know, like bolts or or you know some some form of definition other than the lines that we're seeing
0: there. Well, I think you expect to see those kind of plate lines like you see on the Enterprise. Yeah. We, but then again, you get back down onto the planet and look at this. This is a seedier
1: side of town, and look at all the detail there on that that bottom left panel is like seen out of heavy metal. <laughs> yeah or um um attack of the clones when they're at the bar on
0: Coruscant. Oh, is there. want to buy some death sticks. So right, he's in there buy some death sticks. Well, looks like he's drinking out of a grenade at the very yeah. bottom right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> and then they bring in that Klingon with the funky eye and the scar, the dueling scar. That's not supposed to be what's his name from Star Trek 6, is it? I don't think so. Um I, I I didn't think it was supposed to be him but um, golly, was it, was he, um, Colonel Chang? Is Chang, that right? Chang, General Chang, I think. General Chang, excuse me. I don't, I no, don't think so. I, 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 I think really don't be. think it is. It's just, it's the same eye and it's, or
0: is it? See, so, you now I gonna have to look. I don't know. I have to look at Christopher Plummer's, which one? Yeah.
1: But I, I guess, you know, you should have a lot more Klingons that are pretty messed up because they're going to get in a lot more fights than anybody else. So Klingon warriors, Klingon officers, they should all be pretty messed up
0: in one way or another. A lot of scars and such.
1: Oh, yeah. That's just
0: together. Yeah, of course, none of them are carrying, as you would see later, Klingons carrying Bat left knives. Yeah, knives. Yeah. Yeah. All that. And then, of course, on the next page,
1: we see all the X-Men's flying cars <laughs> in that middle panel there as uh, the kid's taking a taxi cab to his mother's place. The Johnny Cab. Yeah. And um, then, of course, the Imperial Guard is there acting like the Secret Service. And you got that funky bird sitting out out beyond. I think that's the Romulan bird of prey right there. (laughs) Yes, there it is. Why isn't it praying? I don't know. (laughs) And then, of course, uh, the praetor is leaving. And the mother, of course, is apparently wearing black to signify the death of something. (laughs) And she is going to marry the praetor. They really don't say a lot why she agreed to do it. I mean, we know later why she did. But at first, you're just like, what? Why? Yeah. Is but, it just for the power
0: or what? And obviously, you know what happens later, but. Well, I think even if he didn't, from the second issue, you could tell that she's, they he's written her as a pretty strong character. Yes. That she kind of sees through his BS. So you th- you'd have to think she has something, just some reason, either she wants to do, maybe she's supposed to get him into her bed and stab him, but yeah, she has to have some kind of plan that's going on. I have to say that the, the Praetors outfit that's got the one big flap that buttons across, that looks very next gen. <laughs> yes. That's very next gen. <laughs> yeah, quite ugly. Oh it is. It's hideous, but But no, you know, the thing is,
1: if you sit there and you think about the the stuff the guys wore in the original series, remember what those guards wore in Ellen of Troya*? You know, they wore the plastic uh armor. Yeah. With the big Colossus type shoulders and <laughs> And all that, I, you know, and, and then what, what are little girls made of, the costumes that they would, this would fit right in with that kind of stuff. Oh, that's just, just, just like the Romulan outfit that they, the young guy's wearing is not too different from the stuff that
0: Corby's people wore on uh, what are little girls made of. No, but that's some of the best that, that little jumpsuit that the girl wears on that episode. I wouldn't call that a suit. Well,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know what you're talking about there.
0: Uh, William Thieft. The the yeah. The, no
1: the two ribbons that, d- that avoid physics. <laughs> but what is, what is
0: Koloth using to smoke out of? What the heck is that? It's a Klingon hookah. I don't know. It's a, it's a, I don't know. It's a- but you notice that the two, the two
1: Klingons that come in and they're using the Romulan salute, you know, where the, you pound on the chest, you know, the Romulans would pound on the chest and the arm out almost in that Hitler, uh, Zieg Heil kind of thing.
0: Yeah. I'm trying to think how the Klingons, I don't know if you ever see the Klingons, no, I uh, mean, salute. they didn't use the Klingon language back in, you know, original
1: series. So, you know, these guys would just come in, you know, nowadays they come and go, Kapla! you know, yeah. success, you know, and that, that's work. But I did like um, when they show him get transported over to the other ship, he's got a gun right there at his waist and he's ready to use it. And then, of course, we find out that he's been working for a core all along. And that is just an awesome drawing.
0: Of John Colicos as Commander Core, Byrne does a gr- uh, just throughout this whole issue. He does a wonderful job of capturing the actor's likeness.
1: Yeah, and in Balance of Terror, he did a great job of capturing Mark Leonard too. And I even like how he's got the the knives and stuff out there. But you know, just Core standing there with his back to you, the hands behind the back, looking out the big round window. I just think I just thought that was really cool. And I'm, I'm going to tell you a story here. And. um this story is, is uh, from a friend of mine, uh, J. Kevin Topham. I've known him uh, uh, 27 years or so, um, 26, 27 years. And uh, we spent a lot of time in the convention circuit, doing a lot of stuff at different conventions. We've known each other through Star Trek clubs and, and everything. And he, uh, he still, uh, from time to time, does things for different conventions and whatnot. Yeah, this was at uh Battlestar Galactica Con, um Battlestar Galactica Con that was outside of Philly a number of years back. And they had expected like six thousand people and they got six hundred. Wow. And and this was uh John Colicos was there and this was before he died, obviously. And they were gonna have the the pro dinner at the TGI Fridays that was like right next door to the hotel. They were trying to find John Colicos his nephew was there and he was kind of like the one that was taking him around to everything, but they didn't know where John was. And so my friend, Kevin's like, I'll go look at the bar, goes into the bar and there he is sitting at the bar, having a beer. So Kevin goes up to him and says, your nephew's looking for him. And he goes, if my nephew was looking for me, he would have come to the bar, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And he, he says, come, come sit. And he has him sit next to him and they're just sitting there talking And he just starts talking about how he loved playing the character of Kor. And he goes, I can still see it today. Kang on one side of me, Koloth on the other side, an army to our left, an army to our right, a mountain behind us, and we three there with our betleths. And my friend Kevin, he's just like pulls his mug of beer up to his face and covers his mouth because he doesn't want the guy to see how big of a <laughs> grin he's got on his face because he's not having a beer with John Colicos, he's having a beer with Core the first klingon and it was just one of those really really cool experiences just to hear someone else had that experience i just think is really really cool and just kind of shows you what kind of guy that 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 guy is so uh
0: i always liked him cool story yes. well, sometimes the, the your best stories like convention stories like that are when you fu- when you get to speak with someone kind of when they're when they're away from the convention, when they're not doing their convention bit. Mm-hmm. And I had a kind of MST 3K experience that way, which if you get them away from what they're there to not so much be paid for, but, you know, when they're there as themselves or in front of a crowd, when they're just being just regular people, sometimes that's when you get the best experience.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I agree. And it's sometimes the, the funnier thing. I mean, I've told you my Al Milgram story where I embarrassed myself in front of him. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh. And but uh, yeah, I mean, but yeah, that was well, it was a it was a good Peter David story. The Al Milgram part just happened to be sad. <laughs> but uh, but no, this is it's a great story. And and uh, you know, if if you're a part of Trek fandom in Texas, you probably know Jake Kevin Topham. Some people call him the voice, and he's actually on the front cover of at least one of Pn Elrod's vampire books. Uh, she had him used as a model for the characters, and he helped produce some uh, Battlestar Galactica books a number of years back before the T V series, the new the new TV series came on. Yeah. And so, you know, he had some some he's got a story about Richard Hatch too, but I'm not I I, I don't know enough to repeat that one here. But uh we we gotta bring him on sometime because he's got he's got a lot of stories. I, I was hoping to get him on tonight, but uh, it just didn't work out. Now, as far as uh our book goes tonight, you know obviously this is uh the middle of a bigger story and you can pick it up all the the entire story is a trade paperback uh, star trek romulans Ponds of war or you can get it from you know the star trek uh, star trek the john byrne collection or you can try and pick up the individual issues but i've never seen an individual issue of the balance of terror part now the balance of terror part that comes right before this is just from the romulan point of view you only see Kirk one time at the end. You see the Romulan scenes of everything before and after that happens and uh, a little bit more of you know what, what goes on on the ship other than just what you saw on the TV episode Balance of Terror. Um, but Burn represents all of it really, really well. And then, of course, the follow-up to all of this, the, the second part of the Hollow Crown and then Schism, is it, just really a great story. And to see all the different things they pull out that, that Burn pulls out, he's able to sit there and take this story to a good logical conclusion. And he doesn't get too coincidental on everything. I mean, you know, a lot of things you see where Kirk came into play on, on all the different things, but that's, you know, part of the story because you're following the story not just of the, what we've seen before with the Praetor and Arend, but you're also following the story of Gaius who at this point has developed such a hatred for James T. Kirk, in particular, on the Federation. You know, he gets completely poisoned against him, wants nothing more than to destroy him. And as you see his plot move along through the rest of the story, it's uh, very, very interesting and, and, and a really good um, really good story to read altogether.
0: Well, I'm anxious to get into, like I said, I haven't read any of this the Romulan stuff, so I'm anxious. I to, hope I haven't spoiled anything for you. No, 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 no. I don't okay, think so. Good. I mean, just you just give me broad strokes of stuff. So I'm anxious to get into reading the Balance of Terror. or Actually, the two the two books that precede this and the Schisms. I've, I've read part two of this, and I enjoyed that quite a bit. So I, I like the way Byrne will he sprinkles in. You can read this and enjoy it on a level if you if you don't like Star Trek at all. Although I don't know why you'd be reading this if you di- aren't. But right. If you are a Trank fan, then he sprinkles in all these little kind of tidbits of stuff from the actual TV show, and he does it in such a way that it's not so winky-winky, you know, that, oh, look how how clever I am. I put this in. Yeah. So, it doesn't run it for you and take you out of the story. So, I appreciate that. He's done that with the, uh, especially if you read Crew, which follows number one from The Cage. Mm -hmm. That's a great story. Yes. Uh, Um. Uh, just, it's, it's for many books have done the same thing. So I'm look. I'm really looking forward to uh, getting into this. Now, I will say, knowing what we know, this is not spoiling the next book, but that these Klingons are behind the scenes kind of pulling the, the strings of this uh, puppet. Yeah. It's very, uh, from what we know of the Klingons, the way they're fleshed out in Next Gen, it's very un like It's not like Klingons to, at least if you follow the Next Gen version, to... Hide behind the shadows and plot and plan. They're more straightforward in your face. I got a problem with you. I'm gonna you know, I'm gonna take it. Well,
1: yeah, and, and, and even Core makes that makes right. that whole thing. You know, he's like, I don't like this duplicitous, I don't like this, you know, the sneaking behind the things. It was all Koloth's idea. Yeah. And Core went along with it, but then as it started to take shape, he's like, Okay,
0: this is kind of cool. I mean, you're you're really you're really getting something going here. Well, he um, is he is they do have their hands tied because the Organian Peace Treaty, they can't take direct action, so they have to kind of make a third party do an Enron around uh, the, the Peace Treaty so they'd make the Romulans do their dirty work, but... Right. And especially since we'll be known, again, not to bring them next-gen again, but how mortal enemies that the Romulans and the... You know, maybe... The, yeah, exactly. So maybe that's more... Maybe that has uh, some of the, the seeds are in this. Maybe, you know, this oh, yeah. doesn't go well and...
1: Exactly. I mean, that's, that's just, you know, I mean, I I see that, you know, it's funny all of a sudden I got the image of that uh, Romulan ambassador in Star Trek six, you know, I don't know what to believe, (laughs) you know, and I could see him being directly affected by all this and that's why he is the way he is. Anyway, I I think that his representation of the Romulans was really good. I like the whole Roman, you know, uh, Bent to everything. I, th- I always thought that was that was pretty good, and they they kept that up a lot in Next Gen, if I remember
0: right. I think they did. I think that was until have, Nemesis, of course. Well, they're uh, they are more the the schemers and the plotters, almost uh, kind of up there with uh, the Cardassians, but because they have the I don't know if if it exists. Of course, we don't know about that until Next Gen, but it's the uh, uh, the Taushiar They're yeah, there's is it their. Oh, they're like the—it's like an assassin's group, or it's—it's right. Yeah. yeah. Now, see, the the thing is, you just you just
1: sit there and put um, peanut butter and jelly together for me, because you mentioned the Cardassians, and and I was sitting there thinking about, and you're talking about the the deviousness and everything, and all of a sudden I was sitting there thinking, wouldn't it be great if they could have John Byrne do a Garrick series? That would be good. Yeah, because be I think I think he'd be able to handle that character really, really well. Be able to handle all the things of it without giving any of his secrets away. But you know, I don't I don't think we'll ever get that because I don't I don't see him as having any kind of passion or anything towards next generation.
0: Like yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I don't know if he has any, if he cares for him at all, because he's never done anything. I don't think he's made any really, any references or done anything.
1: his passions lie at the things that he enjoyed when he was younger and he was in his late teens maybe early maybe just turned 20 let's see he was born in in what 50 so yeah Yeah. he was seven you know 17 18 19 when trek was on and so that's right at the time you know when you're young and you, you know you're gonna sit there and bond with something like that if you get into it back then I know I, I bonded with it when I was a young kid. I started watching it in about 73 myself That's probably and yeah, I was, you know, seven years old and you know, just, you know, it, it, I stayed with it. And of course, Khan comes out and I'm 16 years old and wow, you know, as a teenager, you really grab onto that stuff and you hold an, um, um, an emotional ownership. Over stuff like that, because it's, it's your favorite stuff. It was the stuff that was important to you when you're at the age that all your emotions are really running and screaming at the highest volume possible. And so you'll hold on to that a lot stronger than other things, even in later years that are cool. You know, I mean, Next Gen came out and I was in my, you know, mid 20s and I liked it a lot. I, I stay with it to the end. I still enjoy it now, but I don't have that love for it that I have for original Trek. Correct. You know?
0: Well, it's it's almost like that's uh, the same thing, but to me, it's like Star Wars and Empire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can agree that Empire is a better film, but to me, Star Wars is the first film that I saw when I was 12, and I can never remove that that feeling from it. So Star Wars will always be number one with me. So it's like that with next you know with uh, Star Trek. So like, I kind of grew up on reruns of Star Trek. So that's my so in next gen the same way when I started watching it, I liked it It's like oh better effects and more you know it's got some more interesting things going on but it it will never replace i mean if, if i have to pick between the two it's always going to be next generation. i mean uh original series mm-hmm. well on yeah. that i want to plug something it's not it's not a tutu too, too freak show but still i think it's a great podcast i've been listening to lately it's called mission log i don't know if you've heard about it it's um no it's actually produced by rod roddenberry And there's two guys, and I can't honestly remember. One of them's Ken Ray, and the other John Champion, the two guys that do it. And they—they're up to. They just recently did best of both worlds but they started with the original series and they every week they do take one episode and they give it like we do they do a little synopsis and then they talk about as they say the messages morals and the meanings of each episode and does it hold up and they really get in depth with some stuff the document it's 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 a great podcast and they're going to do i think they did the animated series too and they're going to do every episode of star trek so apparently they're going to do next gen then they'll do ds9 and voyager and then i think they may do the films I really can't recommend it enough. It's about an hour, hour and 15 minutes.
1: Oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to check that out. Now, I'm going to plug something also, but I'm going to have to uh, put it up on our our Facebook page because I don't have the link right in front of me. But um, our friend, Mike Carlisle, who we went and saw Fantastic Four with, sadly, um, he has got a blog called The Crap Box of Cthulhu. And... He typically does a review of the things that he gets at the crap box at like Half Price Bookstore and whatnot. Now, a lot of it is really, really bad stuff. But every now and then he comes across a gem or something that is really interesting. And he was hoping to coincide with our show at some point, but we never really got it together. And so he's doing a, a blog on Babe, issue one, I believe. Okay. Okay. So I'll, I'll get the link to that and I'll put it on our, our Facebook page um, so, so you can check it out. Mike has got a very interesting take on a lot of the good and the bad works out there. And I, I, I am kind of responsible for some of it because I did try to introduce him to some of the underbelly of comic books over the years when we were in college. So, uh, yeah, the, the Crap Box of Cthulhu. So it's kind of like the Quarterbin podcast? Yeah, yes, but – It could be anything? he can point out the complete absurd i mean he's done captain codpiece uh
0: <laughs> i've never heard of captain codpiece
1: yeah well if you i if i can show you a link to his old stuff uh oh my gosh i mean it just um uh, amazing and some really bad stuff and he's got a section in there i think on rob liefeld also um and that just will kill you um but uh, yeah, it's. I mean, he's gonna. He's getting ready to do a, a write-up on some burn work
0: here. So okay. I, think, I figured I'd go ahead and plug it. Yeah, yeah, put a link up on the uh, Facebook page. Yeah, I will. I will. Well, you got anything else? Uh, no. I just want to say I really, I really enjoyed this. For being my first time to read it, and I'm really digging the rest of the Star Trek stuff. I'm kind of happy to. I'm anxious to jump in and see what the rest of it's like.
1: Yeah. No, I do have a question for for everybody out there. We've never done except for when we did our. Um, crossover with back to the bends we've never done ratings on the books you know I, I mean if you know if we're honest here we love Burns' work a lot so unfortunately that means that anytime that we're doing most of the books we're going to sit there and go a a a a a and, and that's not necessarily true I mean we we definitely saw you know that there was the, in, in each book there's probably areas where you can improve or whatnot but at the same time we we love it all the the, the other thing to state in this and I, I meant to state it earlier, and I'm feeling kind of stupid right now that I forgot to mention it is that, you know, this 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 story and all these Star Trek books were done in 2008. And that's at the tail end of his regular artwork in the comic book industry. But if you look at this, I will hold this book up next to anything that he has done over the 40 years that he's been doing comic book work and say this is just as good as any of it. The artwork, you know, we sat there and said that, you know, a lot of his work may have suffered in the the late 90s, early 2000s. But here, you're seeing really, really great John Byrne artwork. And I think that for a number of years, we weren't. I, I haven't really looked at Blood of the Demon. The JLA Classified, he had the benefit of uh, – what I thought was a good anchor on in in Mark Farmer on his work, but looking at some of the stuff that he had done in the years before that, and I'm looking at new gods, you know, the Jack Kirby's fourth world, even going back as far as Namor. And I'll say that there was something off about his work, almost a a laziness to it. Whereas here it is beautiful and it is tight. And it looks like something that you
0: could have read in the eighties or you know, or the early nineties. I gave you the early nineties. It's not as I will disagree that it's not I wouldn't hold this up to his X Men work. I would say his X Men work is probably and that probably is because he's got a well, he's got Terry Austin inking it. Uh and it's just gonna be it's just a little crisper, a little sharper. This well,
1: Yeah, and, and, and <clears throat> you know, I, I, I'm not gonna argue with you there, but right. as far as burn on burn goes this has got to be some of his best burn on burn. This is pretty burn good. You, yeah, usually I mean, if you, you look at his Fantastic Four work. You look at this. Are you going to sit there and say that that when he was inking himself there that it's? I'm I, I'm not asking you to compare them, but I mean this is really,
0: <laughs> it's really good. It's uh, good, that, oh, and I will say this: it's good for the fact of how old he is. I don't I don't try to sound like I'm coming down on him because like he's lost it or anything, but this. Does let me throw, I guess he's in his seventies, isn't he? Or at least no, no, he? no.
1: Uh, he's he's he'll be sixty six this year.
0: Okay, well he's close to seventy, but to still be able to, to produce this kind of work at that age, when other artists have basically kind of have lost a step, is well, you know, it's pretty the good. The thing
1: is, is is that a lot of the better artists who're sitting there constantly working their craft? When you look at John Basima in his later years, his artwork did not really suffer as much. And until you know the the closer to the end and you could probably say the same thing about Kubert, and, and and some of the other guys you know those that kept their style in the same realm for a number of years now when you're talking about artists that change their style over the years you, like your Keith Giffens or your Frank Millers and whatnot you can sit there and say oh my god this is really hideous and this is good but You know, the thing is he's sitting there and he's – it's like hes he'd gone back to an earlier style. Now, looking at the work that he's doing on his – the the commissioned artwork and the things that he's been doing, he did a fantastic four-piece recently where – and he talked about it and the fact that he went back and did it in the style of the artwork of that day of the 80s when he was doing it. And he can – just I mean I, I just find it amazing that he can sit there and alter his style back to what it was then.
0: And that may be it. Maybe it's not that he can't draw the way he did in the eighties. Maybe he chooses not to. He's just evolved like all yes. artists and he doesn't choose to to draw that way. I mean look at a good example is Ramita Jr. whose artwork is the last thing he was on was the Superman books that it was it was almost unreadable. I mean I'm a huge fan of Romita Jr. And his stuff was just got, I don't know what, if it was, just, I, don't, I don't want to say it was sloppy. I don't know what was going on. Okay, well, let's let's think of it like an actor, all right?
1: Let's say that you're an actor, Julie, doing Shakespeare, okay? And you do Shakespeare for 30 years. There, there comes a point when you're just like, I'm tired of saying the same words in the same way every time. I, I, I want to be able to shake it up a little bit or I want to be doing something else, or I want to be playing a different role. But everybody wants me to do it like this because not everybody has seen me on
0: the stage. Yeah, you're going to get trapped to a certain point where they want you to, where they don't want you to change your style because they want this, they expect this and they want this. Right.
1: It's like that first drag off of a cigarette that a person could possibly have. It's supposed to be this euphoric moment or whatever. And you're always trying to get that same feeling again or that same whatever again
0: that same high again but you can't because you can only get it once and that may be the reason why he's doing the Femetti books that's a different form of art he's doing something different he's exploring new new skills new techniques and and a different way of telling stories and that's he's a storyteller so that's that's his uh, that's his outlet what people forget when they're sitting there looking at this you know he's
1: working on a like a 10 by 15 inch page. And he's sitting there trying to draw this stuff. And do you know how long it takes now? He's a fast artist. And I think he he can do like three pages a day, which other artists will sit there and just go, my God, that's that's so fast, you know. Um, And yet he gives us a level of detail. You can't say that his work is necessarily rushed when it doesn't look right. It's going to be another reason why it looks that way. And that's either going to be a decision by him or it's going to be an inker, or it's going to be the he gave breakdowns, but not necessarily full pencils or yeah, full finished that, inks. That could
0: be it. And
1: like we when we went back to the those Avengers issues in our first episode, you know, there's a lot there that we said looked rushed. Well, he had a lot more work going on at that, that point in time. And so we, I'm thinking that he gave a lot more rough pages than he did, you know, full finished pencils.
0: Well, and that some just, of it, some of it, yeah. maybe him, if he gets a little disheartened by what he was doing, especially later, because he's working for the the big two, and if his heart wasn't in it, yeah, it may reflect in his art. This is obviously something he's very passionate about, and he wants to tell these stories. So he may be just, you know, subconsciously, maybe he's not putting as much effort in some of the books that he's that are more just like he's a gun for hire. You know, he's just mm-hmm. hired to to do the do the artwork. Yeah. So, I mean. All right. Now, I want to, you know, I mean, obviously,
1: we're, we're doing a lot. We're going to do a lot of Star Trek this year, and um, we're going to try and mix it up a bit so that, that we don't lose regular books. Um, do you have anything in particular that you want to uh, tease? Because I've got one thing I want to tease out there that is just probably going to set a few people on fire. For Trek? Not Trek.
0: Oh, for any books. Yeah. Uh, I really hadn't thought ahead. I mean, other than we want to do – Chantet's tail, which we right. keep meaning to do. And I think we'll do that next. Yeah. But uh, I, I honestly hadn't, I'm kind okay. of taking it. But yeah, if you've got some ideas. I'm, I'm going to whisper it for everybody. Alpha Flight. That's coming. You think, nobody <laughs> likes, you think nobody
1: likes Alpha Flight? I think a lot of people like Alpha Flight. Yeah. I'm I a, think a lot of people like Alpha Flight. And I think a bunch of heads just exploded right now. They're going to do Alpha Flight. <laughs> okay.
0: We got six listeners. I know it's not that big a deal, but Okay. <laughs> Well, I guess the question is, are we going to do X-Men Alpha Flight or Alpha Flight Alpha Flight? Well, that's
1: that's for them to find out. Yeah. But I promise you it will not be Snowblind or Snow Crash or Snowblind. Assistant Editor's it's, Month one. Yeah. It's Snowblind. Yeah, it's not going to be that one. You know, I never thought about that until today. I saw someone on Facebook talking about that in that issue of Alpha Flight. What it was was it was, uh, for those that don't know, uh, Assistant Editor's Month back in the day at Marvel in the, in the 80s. Um they, they have one month where supposedly the assistant editors took over the books. Took over the control of the books and the direction and everything, you know. And so you had some really crazy stuff that happened on the Avengers. Wonder Man went on to the late night show with Dave Letterman. On Marvel Team Up, Aunt May teamed up with Galactus, or Aunt May teamed up with uh, Franklin, Franklin Richards. Richards, and in helping Galactus find you know Twinkies because those actually gave him more than just a planet Earth would. <laughs> and then in Alpha Flight. A uh, Snowbird, a character that's able to turn into various different types of animals, uh, got into a battle with another that also could turn into various things, I think, in a snowstorm. And their characters were all white. So there were several pages where you had panels and you had thought balloons or word balloons and everything else was white. Dark white. Now, for me, I was laughing my butt off. I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was cool. I thought it was just you know, ingenious, but there are a lot of people out there that were really ticked off about that. They thought it was lazy, thought it was stupid, or I paid, you know, for the book and all I get is just white pages. What's this? You know, it's a rip, but I thought it was, I thought it was great, but yeah, that's not a book that we're going to review
0: anytime soon though. (laughs) All right. Well, you want to take us out? Uh, yeah, I'll take us out. We're not going to get anything else to, uh, no, just, uh, be sure to
1: use the Amazon link, on the corner of the Two True Freaks webpage. If you go through that link and buy something there, the Two True Freaks gets a cut. It doesn't cost you anything. It keeps the lights on here and we really appreciate it. I use it every time. Same here. Keep some uh get us some emails. Please, please. We really want you to tell us how we're doing. I mean, do we suck? Are we good? I mean,
0: it we can tell people are downloading the show. So it must not I think if we suck that bad, people would be right again. So we must be on the fence. Okay. Totally good and bad. All right. We got nothing else to talk about. We are going to uh, wrap this up and our next show will be a regular show. And then just look forward to our special Star Trek shows that we're going to sprinkle in throughout the year. Help celebrate a great show's 50th anniversary. Yep. So from Third Degree Burn. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Oh, One boom, last boom, boom. thing. Tim, you had a birthday
1: recently yes, and we haven't seen each other since. So I just wanted to wish you a happy, now is it 50th? Yeah. Happy 50th birthday. That's right. That's right. You turned 50, then Frank Canapa turned 50, and sadly, I turned 50. But happy birthday, happy belated birthday. Oh, um,
0: thank you. Yes. And, uh, and your son recently had a birthday, so we want to say happy birthday, Christopher. All right. From Third Degree Burn, I am Tim Elliott. And I am Brian Hughes.
1: Standing by to beam your survivors aboard our ship.
0: Prepare to abandon your vessel. No. No, it's not our way.
1: I regret that we meet in this way. You and I are of a kind. In a different reality. I could have called you friend. What purpose will it serve to die? We are creatures of duty, Captain. I have lived my life by it. Just one more duty to perform.
0: Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. If you're interested in any of the books we cover in the show, just head over to tutufreaks.com and use the Amazon link to shop. This doesn't cost any extra, but really helps support the shows. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn.